following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Uh, my name is Jimmy Branch. If you're new here, uh, uh, I'm an elder here at Steadfast, a pastor of counsel, counseling, biblical, biblical counseling. If that's something, what is that? You might say, well, it's just using the Bible to help us figure out what we need to do. That's what God's word's for. So no matter what you're going through, whether it's depression or whether it's just trying to figure out what the next step is, uh, right now I'm, I'm mostly doing that on Thursdays, uh, but we can find someone to help you. If you're interested in that, you just go to the website, click on get involved and then next steps. So I'm done plugging that. So another thing, if you're new here, normally it's not me speaking, it's uh, Brian Robbins and he's an excellent, excellent speaker. He has a gift, a gift of preaching, a gift of pastoring. You've got to come back and hear him. Don't let just what I do today define what you think about Steadfast Church. Uh, and we are currently celebrating Advent. That's the number two thing. And I can see Matt Curtis, I'm going to call him out. He's, he's got that look like on his face, so I'll remember that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what is Advent? We'll get past Jimmy Funny here in a second. Um, so what is Advent? Uh, as Brian has previously uh, mentioned, the Advent season has been celebrated for about 1,700 years within the church. That's the big C, just the Christian church. Uh, Advent means arrival or coming. Um, so during the season, we slow down to look back at, at Jesus' first arrival. That's the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus. Um, and then we reflect and are grateful for his arrival, but we also look forward to his return, his second coming, um, which is for Christians is like this thing we try to avoid thinking about a little bit because though we know we're, we're, we're going to be with him, it's like a roller coaster, like you're waiting in the line and you're looking at it going, so what's this going to be like? So I think we avoid it in our minds a little bit. But it says in his second advent, his, his second coming, he will make all things new. Brian mentioned that this morning. I'm looking so forward to that. I'm looking to no more tears, equal playing field, no more death, all that stuff made new, taken away. Uh, so this time is not primarily preparing for Christmas. That's what I've, you know, growing up is always at Advent's Christmas. We're heading toward it. It's an anticipation of his return. Uh, we are looking back and forward reflectively. Uh, Brian gave an overview in the beginning of Advent that went something like this, and so I'm just parroting what Brian said here because it was just so good. In the Old Testament, there's the anticipation of Christ, and as you grow and read in your word, you begin to see that. Once you know who Jesus is and you look at the Old Testament, he's all throughout it. In the Gospels, we have the manifestation of Christ. That's his birth. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. In Acts, we have the proclamation of the Christ. In the epistles, we have the explanation of the Christ, how to live as a Christian. In the Revelation, that's that scary book at the end we all avoid, we have the consummation of the Christ, his coming again. But we're going to do it a little bit different this year. Instead of starting, instead of starting uh, with the Instead of starting with the first advent and going forward to the consummation, we're at, we actually started with, this, with the second coming and working our way back to the manifestation uh, when we get closer to Christmas. Um, but today, we're looking at the proclamation of Christ. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, so we're going to be focusing on the suffering king who brings joy. That, the, this candle represents that joy. Uh, and that's kind of like weird to think about, a suffering king who brings joy. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, 
And if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under the seats in front of you. If not, there in the back. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours. You can have it, take it with you. Um, And so I'm just going to read this and then we'll pray. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Starting with 26, obviously. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer, he is silent, is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. So... A little bit more water, a little parts today. Um, I'm going to pray. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come here and just go through your word, learn about you, learn about what you've done for us, your love for us. And Lord, we, that joy that you, that you paid the price for us to have, that today, Lord, we would be joyful when we leave here. We would be more in love with you than we ever have been. Father, I pray you guide this sermon. You slow me down. You slow my thoughts down. And anything that doesn't need to be said or, or remembered, that you would wipe it away. But the, what you want to say, Holy Spirit, today, make it click in our minds that we learn from you. We stand in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... So there's uh, so when I was marinating on this scripture a couple weeks ago, I had a friend who goes to downtown Presbyterian in Greenville. It's downtown, it's Greenville Downtown Presbyterian, and he'd sent me a sermon by Brian Habig, who's the pastor there. And I don't I don't really remember the sermon, the gist of it. What I do remember uh, was at the end he used this illustration on what is the main point in something, what is the lead story in the scripture we're looking at. And that's what he did for that sermon that day is what was the main point. And he did that at the end. And he tells this story about this, someone else who had this professor, or not professor, it was a high school teacher. It was Journalism 101. Uh, And I remember the teacher's name was Charlie O. Sims, but I don't remember who the student was. 
Uh, it was someone famous or whatnot. But he was teaching his class how to find the lead story. And he, and he, gave the, he would always give the students this exercise, and he said this. He told the students, this was the information he gave them. The principal announced the entire faculty would travel to Sacramento next Thursday to a conference, along with the governor, on new teaching methods with many well-known speakers. Go. What's the headline? <laughs> Somebody's heard that sermon. So, yeah, everybody would get it wrong. They would say they're going new teaching methods or they're, the whole faculty's leaving. It's no school. That's the headline. That's what's going to... That's the main thing. If you're a student in high school, you're not picking it up. It has anything to do with the principal, the faculty, or the, the governor. You're going to pick it up because of no school. So as I pondered about that, I thought, what would the headline for this portion of Scripture we're looking at today? And I was going to throw some things out there about headlines. And we know, I don't guess, unless it's in the middle of New York City, that they still have extra, extra read all about it or whatever. But we do occasionally see headlines. Um, but I was thinking about this one. What would today's headlines be? It would probably be Map Questing Angel. Like, or it would be uh, Gaza man teleports because those are the things that draw our attention. Like he's there and then he's somewhere else. Like, is that going to happen for me? That would be pretty cool. But I talked to a friend about this and I said, we were throwing it around and he said, no, it would be this mystery of the ages revealed. Isaiah was written 740 in 740 BC. That's 740 years before Christ at first advent. So, and to this day, uh, uh, non-believing Jews still are looking and trying to figure out who this, who Isaiah is talking about. When, this, when is this Messiah coming? When is he going to arrive? But in light of Christ, it, it takes on a whole new life. So this whole scripture, this whole section of scripture breaks into three natural parts. The preparation, the witness, the commitment. Everything I looked at, they would always break it down that way. So we're going to do that. Uh, the preparation, and I'm just going to read that as a chunk to get us back to the beginning to remind us. It says this, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So that's our first part. So anytime you're reading the word, if you're new to Bible study or really anything, you can ask these questions. These are th important things. Always get context when you're reading. The who, what, where, why, when. Those are things that you've got to find out that will help you understand what's going on and keep you from reading things out of context. So we're going to hit on a couple of those because it'll help us as we enter into this just to see the players. So the who. So we have four main players in this. It's Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch, an angel, and the Holy Spirit. The angel, he just appears and tells Philip to go. Um, the Holy Spirit is through the whole thing. We're going to see that. Actually, all of Acts is the Holy Spirit at work. But this portion of Scripture is just has such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit's work. So who are Philip and who are the Ethiopian eunuch? So Philip, so one of the things that's great, I think we should all have to preach, is it causes you to, to get in and really saturate within a Scripture. So people that you weren't paying attention to before, you start to pay, you pay attention to. So as Philip, I knew he was, I knew some things he had done, but it, I got a reminder of, he was one of the seven who were chosen along with Stephen to take care of the Hellenist Jews. Uh, the, that's the Greek speaking Jews. That's in Acts 6. 
So he was one of seven guys. Um, what had happened was, this is the birth of the church. Now that the Greek-speaking Jews are coming in, it's growing. This Jewish community of believers is growing. Uh, but they had complained. The Hellenists had complained to the apostles that their, wi- their widows were being neglected in the daily feedings or the daily uh, stuff that was going on. So the apostles were like, we really don't have time to deal with this. We don't have time to wait on tables. That sounds harsh, but they're like, we got to find somebody. So they said, let's find seven guys full of the Holy Spirit to take care of this, to deal with this. So basically they had been chosen to wait tables. This is short-lived, very short-lived. And this is where it gets super exciting. As these two waiters, two of these seven, Stephen and Philip, one of them will become the first martyr and one of them will become an evangelist. And he'll get to teleport. That's pretty cool too. So, so that's such a step up in job. Um, so uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and we, I could go on and on, all the stuff I learned about him, but we know from the scripture, he was a minister of finance. He was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, Candace, um, uh, queen mother, basically think of it this way, where she was at in Ethiopia, uh, in Southern Africa, she was a queen mother. She was in governmental power, was on her shoulders. There was a son. She wasn't the, the person in charge. The son was in charge, but he was worshiped as a deity and he was beneath, um, such medial stuff, mundane activities were not his thing. So Candace took care of everything. Well, this uh, eunuch was in her service. He took care of the finances. Um, he's obviously wealthy. Uh, he's in a chariot. Being in a chariot during this period of time would be the equivalent to catching the Asheville city bus or driving a Ferrari. It's like huge difference. Uh, so we know he's wealthy. We know he's got a scroll. That's the first thing that jumps out to me. Um, and I'll say that in Bible study. Sorry, the teacher in me wants to throw some stuff at you. Always ask the scripture questions. Make observations. Think about what you're reading. Don't, don't just go through it and find application. Find out what it's saying. Uh, he, so he's wealthy. He was a God-fearing Gentile worshiper, but he was not a convert to Judaism. That's an assumption we make, that he's gone up there, that he is a, a, prosel- a Jewish proselyte, but he's not. And I'll tell you why. Um, this was impossible since Deuteronomy 23.1 prevents eunuchs from entering the temple. He's not in. Since they had been emasculated, he could visit the temple, but he couldn't enter it. He couldn't enter it. And, and you're like, well, this wasn't his fault because here's the deal. Uh, a lot of these were, they were uh, castrated as young men, as boys, and they were put in service usually over harems or over uh, finances because they were considered trustworthy. Whatever the thinking was in on that, that they were more trustworthy with their stuff. Now I will say this, there is, during this period of time, uh, it did become common for the word eunuch and minister of finance to become interchangeable. So some people were like, well, he may have not been a eunuch, but Paul Hill points this out. He says, the fact that the author says minister of finance and eunuch, he is a eunuch. So, so he's, he's got this thing on him, I'm not in. I want to be in. I love this God. He's got this draw, but I, I, I can't be in. I'm incomplete. <clears throat> so what? What is the what of this? Um, this could be the very first conversion of a Gentile. We do know it's the first Gentile that's converted in the New Testament. Uh, he's from Africa. He is not a Jew, not nationally. He is not a Jew. We also see a huge emphasis on the activity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
26 through 40 strongly emphasize the Spirit's leading. Uh, we see this a lot in chapters 8 through 10. 8 through 10 in Acts is like a roller coaster ride. So we get the church as it explodes, it's growing. We get Stephen as a martyr. We get Saul, who's just attacking the church, who encounters Christ on the road. And then we end up with Cornelius. Like all this stuff's happening, the Holy Spirit's making it happen. Um, So, and also quickly, the Ethiopian to give you a where. Okay, now we'll just do the where. The where, the road to the south of Jerusalem that leads to Gaza. This is the last watering place before the desert route to Egypt. And it's a long haul. Look at a map. This guy's been on a long journey, but this is the last, this is the last area before heading into that, that part of the desert. Uh, and the Ethiopian here is not to be confused with modern Ethiopia. Those are just little brain facts. Uh, most likely uh, a kingdom of Moreau, which is Southern Egypt. Um, so how did we get here? How do we get to this point where Philip is running alongside of this chariot? Uh, the church is exploding. It's growing. Uh, Jesus has been, is resurrected. He's went up. The, uh, the Holy Spirit's moving. Stephen it becomes the first martyr. Uh, church, church persecution erupts, especially against the Hellenist Jews. The people get dispersed. Um, Saul is soon to be converted. I said that he's ravaging the church. Um, and it says this, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's in Acts 8, 4. So Philip goes to Samaria. He establishes a mission there and, and is now led by God to go toward Gaza. And he actually, ha- and it's an important mission that he establishes in Samaria because that's where it draws enough attention to where the apostles are like, we well, got to go down and check this out. That's where they, they, get, they run into Simon the sorcerer. All this exciting stuff going on Acts uh, coming together. So now let's get into the place where I can slow down and talk about what we're looking at. Sorry, that's just something my brain has to do. It has to get all that stuff out there, has to establish where we're at. So the Ethiopian, he's reading Isaiah. One reason he may have had interest in it because of the hope it set out for before him for worshiping God, just like I said, he can't be a Jew. He can't be a convert. He's incomplete. And he's a Gentile. Paul Hill says this, Is a quote, is a good quote from Paul Hill. He says this, in all the Old Testament, in all the Old Testament, Isaiah holds forth the greatest hope for the eunuch. In Isaiah's picture of God's ideal future, a future that promises them a monument in God's house, a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name which will not be cut off. That's Isaiah 56, 3, 8. Little did the eunuch know that he was about to experience the fulfillment of these promises. So I'm just thinking here, the eunuch had gotten his hands on the scroll. He's a follower of God and he's seen these words and he's trying to figure it out. He's trying to understand it. It's going to be a monument, but I'm, I'm a eunuch. I'm going to have a name better than sons and daughters. This kingdom, what is that about? He's searching He's being drawn by the Holy Spirit. Now we're up to the witness, verses 30 through 35. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the Isaiah prophet and said, do you understand what you are doing or what you're reading? Not what you're doing. He knows what he's doing, what you are reading. And it was normal to read aloud in those days. I read aloud now, drives my daughter crazy, but I do that when I try to understand something better. Not all the time, so don't worry. Acts 31, and he said, how can, I, how can I understand it unless someone guides me? 
The mystery is about to be resolved. The mystery of the ages is about to be resolved. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the, script, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from earth. And that is like a question. I remember when I first read that for his life is taken away from the earth. I don't know. Does that add up with Jesus? But for Philip, there was no doubt what this final phrase meant, especially to a Christian. When Jesus' life was taken from the earth, it was taken up in the glory of the resurrection, exalted to the right hand of God. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the, the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What an appropriate passage. I mean, tell me this, it's not Holy Spirit ordained. You start getting in that, praying and seeking God, you're gonna see this in your own life. You're just gonna see these things happen. You're gonna be in the right place at the right time. And the right thing said, and God's gonna use you in that. And I do want to stop there real quick and jump back to something that just came to my mind. The angel told Philip to go down to the road and run by it. He didn't give Philip all the details. So as Christians, what I've realized about myself and, and as Christians, a lot of times we sit around waiting for God to give us every single detail before we'll move and go. But Philip didn't. The angel said, go, and he went. And when he got there, then the Holy Spirit said, run up beside that chariot. And then when he got done preaching, what happened? God said, come over here. Philip didn't have a full game plan. He just went with the Lord's leading. That's just a tidbit on the side there that came back to me. So what an appropriate passage. Isaiah 53, seven through eight was not the whole story, just the starting place for Philip. Because as he opened the scriptures about Christ to the Ethiopian, he was able to look at it and say, oh, let me tell you what that means. And look at this and this and this and this. Uh, Philip explained the scripture in light of Christ. This reminds me, the same pattern happened on the road to Emmaus. When the two disciples are down and discouraged, Jesus has been crucified. What's happened? We thought he was the Messiah. The stranger comes along, starts talking to him. And they're like, don't you know what's happened? And then he explains everywhere were Christ, how these things had to happen and explained all about Jesus through the whole Old Testament. And then they realize who it is, it's Jesus. When you start reading stuff like that and you start looking, I'm telling you, start praying and reading your Bible. This is me preaching at you. And ask God to let you see Jesus through the Old Testament and he's there from the beginning. He's mentioned in, in the first chapters. He is the seed that is to come. <clears throat> He was reading Isaiah 53. What else stands out in that? Isaiah 53, incredible chapter. And I'm going to read through it. Uh, I debated on, on reading portions of it, reading all of it. And we're just going to see where the Holy Spirit's going to take, it, take us on this. So I want to read Isaiah 53. You can turn there if you want. Uh, I may skip over a few little sentences here and there. But Isaiah 53 is a wonderful chapter. And remember, this is 740 years before Jesus is born. This is what it says. This is what the prophet Isaiah says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was pierced. Let that sink in. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our iniquities were laid upon him. He took the weight of all of them. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet while we were still sinners. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That is key because at any time the Son of God could have backed out of all of it and he would have had every right to do so. Why did he do it? He did it for the glory set before him. What was that glory? It was you. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. That lines right up with what happened. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Jesus was perfect. He did not sin. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief with his so, with, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. The last verse. Therefore, I will provide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spool with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you see the suffering king? Do you see why there could be joy? The commitment, verses 36 through 40. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. There's an exclamation mark there. It's not like I read it in the beginning. I was distracted mentally mentally during that period. He wasn't going, hey, there's some water. Maybe I should get baptized. What's the weather like? No, it's an exclamation mark. He says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's not asking a question. He's making a statement. 
He's just been explaining the gospel and he's saying, there's nothing that can keep me from being baptized if what you're saying is true. So the first result, this is from Walvord and Zuck. First result of Philip's witness was the eunuch's salvation. There was water and the eunuch wanted in. How many people have heard, and it doesn't have to be that way, but I, I get, it wasn't that way for me, but I hear people who get saved and they're knocking on the pastor's door at like 10 o'clock at night or one in the morning and they're like, I gotta get baptized. And I don't know that it's necessary, but that just shows you the energy. When, so, when Christ invades someone's life, it has to happen. They want it. And let me make this clear. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism is a sign. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation of, that you've made a commitment. <clears throat> now, was this coincidence that there was a water? We're in the desert and we're getting ready to go into more desert, but here it is. The spirit was in all of this. You can't do anything without the spirit. And if you will let, listen to the spirit and let him guide you, it'll take a lot of anxiety and stress off of you. <clears throat> Paul Hill says about this statement, is there anything to hinder or prevent? You know what this says? The barriers have been removed. Hindrances to the spread of the gospel to all people. It's, it's, they're all down. They're gone. Any barriers that are there, we create them. We're the ones who bring them back up. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. As I said, water baptism, it's a seal of a personal decision to trust in Christ, Matthew 28, 19. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing rejoicing. First of all, that's awesome because I would like to have been there when they baptized and they come up and then Philip vanishes. Boom. I'm sure Philip is like, whoa. We will stay away from that because we could get into the weeds here. But still, but here's the thing. What stands out to me is the, is the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He didn't go, oh, well now Philip's not here. What am I going to do? No, he knew. You ever seen that? I've seen people get saved and they they get saved, Christ comes into their life and I've seen them come to church and people just be downright rude to them, clicks, push them away and you can't get those people to leave the church. Not that we're trying, but I see people do this to them and you know why? Because they're not there for the people. They just know they've tasted and seen the Lord. It's, it's not gonna matter. It's not gonna matter. They wanna be, and I'm not telling you to be rude. I'm saying that when the Lord does things in people's hearts, it's done. So the commitment here, and we could get into what we know about the eunuch beyond that, but I'll let you go discover that. Um, so the second result was joy. He was filled with joy, a genuine manifestation of the spirit work in his life. Didn't matter. He still had a long desert trip. He was going back. He wasn't going back to join a church in Ethiopia, but he knew he was saved. <clears throat> Another result, the third result was an expansion of the kingdom through the gospel. The good news to someone who was neither Jew or Samaritan, but a Gentile, an African worshiper of God. In the last verse, but Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He did not take a break or a vacation. The work continued just as Acts continues. There's no ending to Acts. 
But if you see from Philip's life, it wasn't a burden. He just did what the Lord asked. So what's the lead story here now? I could change it. Mystery revealed, barriers broken. Jesus has brought down the barriers. What's there to stop you from coming to him if you haven't? What's the commitment you've made? Only you can answer that. Maybe you need to make the decision to be baptized. I don't know. Come see one of us about it. So any of the elders or any of the staff, we can do that. If you have any doubts about your baptism, let's talk about that. Maybe you're just not seeing it right. Maybe you're just not understanding what happened. Please see us if that's something you want to do or if you're ready to make that commitment. So what I'm going to do, that's the end. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to take communion. Um, Most of you know kind of the situation with that, but we take communion. I'll just make it simple and short. We do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. So when I'm taking communion and I do it, I remember you died for my sins. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me. I'm doing this to remember what you've done. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to sit down and we're going to reflect for a little bit. And then when I get up and go to the table, then it'll be open uh, for the rest of you to do communion. So... Father God, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to just read your word. Uh, Lord, I think about that often, that even if we just stood up and started reading your word, it would take effect. You said your word will not return void. And even if we've heard it a thousand times, you can still use it to change our hearts. I thank you so much for finding someone like me and making a way for dropping the barriers. It's still a journey, but thank you for being there with me as I go. And I know you're here with everyone in this room as they make a commitment to you. I pray their joy would be overflowing. And that as we go through this Advent season, they would remember how much you love them and what you were willing to do for them. I thank you in Jesus' name.